Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Biden administration is reaching out to North Korea over the U.S. soldier who fled there. More details are coming out about the soldier and how he crossed the border. The president of Stanford University is resigning. He's at the center of an investigation into fudged research in academic papers. The halls of Congress packed for an IRS whistleblower hearing. Witnesses say Hunter Biden deserves more consequences for tax crimes. Democratic lawmakers are dismissive. A judge responds to former President Trump's request for a new trial in the E. Jean Carroll case. And another judge responds to Trump's request in the Stormy Daniels case. How did the courts rule? In the Senate, members of the Judiciary Committee are set to debate a bill that would require Supreme Court justices to disclose all financial gifts. And a fire causes chaos in Crimea. Meanwhile, a Ukrainian port city continues to be bombarded with airstrikes after Ukrainian President Vladimir Putin promised retaliation for the exploded bridge. We have more updates on the U.S. soldier who crossed into North Korea and was detained there yesterday. The Biden administration is working to establish communications with the North Korean regime. We've had no contact at this point. The North Korean regime has been silent about the case of U.S. Army Private Second Class Travis King, who willingly crossed into the country during a tour of the demilitarized zone on Tuesday. The U.S. State Department provided the latest updates on Wednesday. That the administration has and will continue to actively work to ensure his safety and return him home to his family. In terms of contacts with foreign governments, yesterday the Pentagon reached out to counterparts in the Korean People's Army. Uh, my understanding is that those, uh, uh, those communications have not yet been answered. We retain a number of channels through which we can send messages to the DPRK. 23-year-old King joined the military in 2021. According to a court document and a lawyer who represented him, King faced two assault allegations in South Korea and was fined by a South Korean court for damaging a police car last year. U.S. officials said King had finished serving time in detention in South Korea and was due to return to his home unit in the U.S. It was unclear how he joined the tour of the demilitarized zone. A woman who was in the same tour group said people were stunned by what King did. People were just taking photos and not really doing much. Um, and then I suddenly noticed that there was a guy dressed in black running very, very fast um, towards sort of in a curved line towards the North Korean border. Um, and at first I thought, uh, like, what is going on? At about that time, one of the American soldiers shouted, get him, and the American and South Korean soldiers chased after him, but he was going so fast and so close to the border by that point that they couldn't, they, they didn't catch him. The motive behind King's action remains unclear. King is believed to be the first U.S. soldier to cross into North Korea since 1982 and the first known American detained in North Korea in nearly five years. Most Americans held by North Korea in the past were sentenced to years of hard labor, but freed after high-level diplomacy. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. The president of Stanford University, Mark Tessier-Levine, is resigning. This comes following an investigation into his research papers. A report released by a special university committee concluded that Tessier-Levine contributed to academic papers that contained, quote, manipulation of research data. 
Of the 12 papers the panel reviewed, Tessier Levine is a principal author of five. He said he plans to retract three of the papers and correct the other two. But the panel found no evidence that Tessier Levine knew of or engaged in the research misconduct occurring in his lab. The university launched the investigation in late November after a series of articles in the Stanford Daily raised questions about the research. The Stanford president is a neuroscientist. His resignation will be effective August 31st, though he will remain on the Stanford faculty. Capitol Hill is abuzz today as two IRS whistleblowers testify about what they call a lack of federal prosecution of Hunter Biden's tax crimes. One who was previously anonymous has now revealed his identity, Special Agent Joseph Ziegler. He describes himself as a gay Democrat who's worked in the IRS Criminal Investigation Division for 13 years. Now he's alleging misconduct. NTD's Melina Wisecup is at Capitol Hill with the story. It was an unusual sight. You don't normally see this outside of committee hearings, but there was a long line of people waiting outside today just for a chance to sit in and listen. I wanted to find out why people were so interested in this topic. I asked one gentleman standing in line, and here's what he told me. As a citizen, as an American, it was troubling to me to see this utter lack of curiosity about these things uh, because I think it is very important, no matter what the politics of the matter are, that we have a government that is not compromised. This hours-long hearing involving three committee chairmen focused on how the DOJ handled Hunter Biden's tax violations. Between 2014 and 2019, this brings the total amount of foreign income streams received to approximately $17 million, correct? That is correct. Hunter was, was like the, the point salesman. So what was he selling? There were multiple instances in this investigation where um, there were references to, uh, to the, the father of the subject, President Biden. But some Democrats took issue with the evidence that was presented, some pointing to what they call political meddling under the Trump administration. They're cherry picking from the letter, right, where they say, oh, David Weiss said this, but they're not then reading the rest of the letter where David Weiss said he had full authority. Perhaps we should discuss Ivanka Trump's investigation being charged, who was close to being charged with felony fraud after Donald Trump's personal attorney provided political contributions to the local DA. Those charges were dismissed. Democrats repeatedly said that this four-year-long investigation was thorough, and ranking member Raskin said that Hunter Biden already pled guilty to misdemeanors on not paying taxes, but the GOP says those charges should have been felonies. And the assistant prosecutor, Leslie Wolf, said she agreed with those felony charges for tax year 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 was while Biden was president and they wouldn't do it. And yesterday I asked Chairman James Comer what's next for their investigation. He did not directly answer my question, but they have continuously said that they will just continue to follow the money. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And the latest in former President Trump's legal battles. A federal judge has denied Trump's request for a new trial in the E. Jean Carroll case. But Trump says he'll appeal the decision. And separately, Trump's legal team lost a bid to move the Stormy Daniels hush money case to federal court. Former President Trump has lost his appeal for a new trial in the E. Jean Carroll case. In May, a jury found the former president liable for sexually abusing Carroll in 1996, then defaming her by denying it happened and suggesting she made it up to sell books. 
Trump appealed, claiming the jury reached a serious erroneous result. But the judge did not agree. In reaction to the ruling, Carol's attorney says she looks forward to receiving the $5 million in damages the jury awarded her. Carol is set to take Trump to court again in January, claiming Trump also defamed her while he was president by denying her accusation of sexual assault. Trump said he didn't know Carol and she wasn't his type. Last week, the Justice Department said it no longer believed Trump should be entitled to immunity in the case. And in a separate case, a federal judge has issued several blows to Trump's effort to move the Stormy Daniels hush money case into federal court. The judge denied Trump's bid to move the case out of New York's court system and into federal jurisdiction. In that decision, the judge wrote, quote, hush money paid to an adult film star is not related to a president's official acts. Trump's then-attorney Michael Cohen actually wrote the check before Trump was sworn in as president, but he reimbursed Cohen after taking office. Trump tried to argue that means he should have immunity in the case. The judge rejected that argument by writing, falsifying business records does not relate to presidential duty. In yet another blow, the judge also said federal election law does not preempt state charges. Trump previously signaled he would use that argument to keep the case out of New York state court. And speaking of Trump, both the former president and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sat down for televised interviews yesterday. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the highlights from both presidential candidates. On Tuesday, former President Trump announced that he received a letter from Special Prosecutor Jack Smith on Sunday, stating that I am a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury which almost always means an arrest and indictment. Trump appeared on a town hall on Fox News on Tuesday, where he commented on the letter. It bothers you. I got the letter on Sunday night. Think of it. I don't think they've ever sent a letter on Sunday night. And they're in a rush because they want to interfere. It's interference with the election. It's election interference. Trump also talked about bribes the Biden family allegedly took from foreign nationals. They got $5 million. Then they got another $5.2 million, I guess, from the same group. So they got $10.2 million. That comes from China. And that's the only one that they've covered so far. I understand they have much more than that's that. The- Trump says the alleged payments show the Biden administration has been compromised by foreign actors. He also said that if elected, he'd managed to broker a peace deal between Russia and Ukraine. As you know, I get along very well with Putin. I would tell Putin, got to settle. I would tell Zelensky, you got to settle. I would tell one, you're going to load up with money. I'd tell the other, you're not going to get any money. I would get a settlement in 24 hours. Also on Tuesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis sat down for a one-on-one interview with CNN's Jake Tapper. Some previously criticized the Florida governor for allegedly only appearing on conservative outlets. Tapper asked DeSantis about the letter Trump received from the special counsel on Sunday. This country is going down the road of criminalizing political differences, and I think that's wrong. DeSantis added he hopes Trump doesn't get charged. He also said he'd take so-called woke elements out of the military. People see the military losing its way, not focusing on the mission and focusing on a lot of these other things, which, man, we see that in other aspects of society as well. People want to join the military think because they think it's something different. And I think some of the civilian leaders in the military are trying to have the military mimic corporate America academia. And just on Tuesday, the University of New Hampshire released a new poll. It shows that 37% of voters in the key early voting states support Trump. DeSantis is trailing behind with 23%. Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
U.S. Senate Democrats are proposing a binding code of ethics for Supreme Court justices. This comes after recent reports alleged that some justices failed to disclose financial benefits. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards reports. The Senate Judiciary Committee is planning to vote Thursday on a bill that would require the Supreme Court to adopt a code of ethics. Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse led the sponsorship of Bill S-359 in February. Called the Supreme Court Ethics Recusal and Transparency Act of 2023, the bill aims to set new requirements for financial disclosures and for recusal from cases in which a justice may have a conflict of interest. This comes following reports alleging that some justices didn't report lavish gifts and lucrative property sales, and in one case, staff pushing for sales of a justice's book. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse has said that talks with Chief Justice John Roberts have not resulted in any changes. So it is up to Congress to step in. At a hearing last month, Whitehouse said there are plenty of ways the court could fix its ethics problems. Bogus personal hospitality, obvious conflicts of interest, phony front group amici. These are all areas ripe for repair. My bill would end the practice of Supreme Court justices judging their own conflicts of interest. Chair of the committee, Senator Richard Durbin, a Democrat, said this. The court should have a code of conduct with clear and enforceable rules so both justices and the American people know when conduct crosses the line. The highest court in the land should not have the lowest ethical standards. Under the terms of the bill, justices would be required to disclose all gifts, income, or reimbursements. If a justice fails to recuse himself when warranted, a party to the case can seek disqualification before a panel of three federal judges. White House said the bill would require justices to explain their recusal decisions. Senator Lindsey Graham, the top Republican on the committee, has said there are some legitimate ethics questions that the court needs to deal with. But at a hearing earlier so this year, he also said why he thinks Democrats want the bill passed. A concentrated effort by the left to delegitimize this court and to cherry pick examples to make a point. Other Republicans have said the bill is in retaliation for rulings on abortion, affirmative action and federal regulatory power that many Democrats disagree with. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said this about the Code of Ethics proposal. Look, I, I think the Supreme Court with three separate branches of government has the ability to oversee themselves in this process. In April, all nine justices resisted proposals for additional oversight. In a letter to the Senate Judiciary Committee, they reaffirmed their voluntary adherence to a general code of conduct. The bill is not expected to become a law amid strong Republican opposition. Steph? Thanks, Arlene. And speaking of that opposition, Senator Lindsey Graham reiterated his stance against the proposed code of ethics at a Republican press conference today. Uh, and one thing that we're going to do tomorrow as Republicans is stand up for the Constitution's separation of powers when it comes to the operation of the Supreme Court. Graham said the Supreme Court was created by the Constitution as a separate branch of government and that all lower courts were created by statute. He also reiterated his belief that the Supreme Court does have some ethics issues it needs to address. Following an attack on the Crimea Bridge, Russian President Vladimir Putin said he would retaliate. 
Since then, a port city in Ukraine has been hit with relentless airstrikes. NTD's Jason Perry has the update on the war in Ukraine. A massive fire erupted in the early morning hours at a military training ground in Crimea, causing fear and chaos among local residents. People living near the area said they were woken early in the morning by loud explosions that lit up the sky with bright flashes of light. Then I heard another explosion, and then explosion after explosion. It was scary. The kids were crying. Later, we found out from the news that there was an explosion at the military training ground, that everything there detonates and blows up. Local authorities said over 2,000 residents had to be evacuated due to the intensity of the fire and a nearby highway had to be closed down. The cause of the fire is still unknown. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said this. We know there was a fire in Crimea. Measures are being urgently taken. The situation is being clarified. For now, I can't say more. This fire occurred just two days after an explosion damaged a bridge linking Russia to Crimea, an incident that Moscow blames on Ukraine. And Russian President Putin promised retaliation for the attack on the bridge. And since then, the Ukrainian port city of Odessa has been under severe attacks from the air for two nights in a row. The windows were blown out of this residential building, and a resident shared his experience after the dust settled. I went back home to cook pancakes. I walked over glass shards in my apartment. I turned on the music. There is no reason to cry. Life goes on. The Ukrainian military said additional attacks on Odessa hit a grain and oil terminal. On Tuesday, U.S. General Mark Milley was asked if the Ukrainian counteroffensive was a failure. Milley began by saying the Russians had several months to build strategic defense lines, including complex minefields. Um, it started about five or six weeks ago, um, and the various war games that were done ahead of time have predicted certain levels of advance, uh, and that has slowed down. Why? Because that's the difference between war on paper and real war. These are real people in real machines that are out there really clearing real minefields, and they're really dying. Uh, so when that happens, units tend to slow down, uh, and that's rightly so, in order to survive, uh, in order to get through these minefields. So they're working their way through it. Uh, it is far from a failure, uh, in my view. Uh, I think that it's way too early to make that kind of call. And although the minefields appear to be slowing things down, the war may get more difficult for Russia. A video posted by the infamous Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin's press service on Telegram said the Wagner Group will no longer fight in Ukraine for now. And the Wagner Group fighters were ordered to gather their strength for a new journey to Africa, where the force has been known to operate. And another new development, the Department of Defense has announced a new security assistance package for Ukraine. This one is valued at $1.3 billion. It will include four air defense systems, mine clearing equipment, and other resources to help support Ukraine's fight against Russia. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, the Biden administration announcing plans to squeeze corporate mergers. The White House argues this will promote competition, but some business leaders say it'll harm small businesses. And thieves continue to target stores in California, leading to increased security and locks on merchandise. One store has even started chaining up its freezers. These stories and more after the break.
The Biden administration is now taking on corporate mergers, saying they could hurt market competition. But some business leaders say Washington regulation does more harm than good. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. Boosting competition, that's what the Biden administration says it's trying to do as it rolled out new guidelines today to scrutinize corporate mergers. Bidenomics is about increasing competition, not, not stifling competition. Anti-competitive mergers can hurt people and drive up costs as well. The administration said it proposed new guidelines used to determine whether or not to block a merger. The checklist includes examining if the merger would significantly increase concentration in highly concentrated markets or eliminate substantial competition between firms. But the U.S. Chamber of Commerce fired back, saying such new scrutiny would only chill merger activity and deny smaller companies access to the capital and expertise they need. The group has also criticized Biden's competition council, saying that this Washington knows best approach will make our economy less competitive. Supporting pro-small pro business, uh, pro-entrepreneur, pro-worker, and pro-consumer. And that is, we believe, binomics in action. The White House today also announced steps to tackle so-called junk fees and lower food prices. But this Bidenomics agenda that is trying to promote does not seem to have convinced that many Americans. A new poll released today shows 62% of Americans still do not approve of Biden's handling of inflation. But the White House is pushing back. The polls don't tell the whole story. They don't tell the full story, and we understand that. And this Thursday, President Biden is traveling to Philadelphia to once again talk about Bidenomics. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. In San Francisco, retail theft has been a concern among many local businesses and residents. To combat the issue, some stores have increased security and started locking up merchandise. One Walgreens in the city is even putting chains on some of its freezers. NTD's Jason Blair has more. Walgreens has commented before that retail theft has been an ongoing issue for their stores in San Francisco. When you go into a Walgreens in the city, you might notice many items are locked up and require employee assistance to buy. One Walgreens has recently started putting chains around freezers containing frozen goods. It's a major inconvenience for the community. This frequent shopper at the Walgreens is frustrated with the shoplifting issue. I mean, I've stopped people myself, but they tell you not to, and um, the police aren't here. And people talk about the law of that it's not a felony, but it doesn't really matter. If you just lock somebody out for two weeks, I mean, they probably wouldn't do it again. When retail theft issues come up in San Francisco and California, many people cite Proposition 47 as a contributor to the problem. It was passed in 2014 and reduced the penalty for shoplifting a total amount of merchandise worth less than $950 from a felony to a misdemeanor. Any undercover cop could come here and spend an hour here and have an arrest. In San Francisco, some Walgreens thefts have brazenly occurred without concern of witnesses and recordings have gone viral on social media. One of those being Gene Romero, who was recorded putting stolen items in a trash bag, then riding out on a bike. He was later arrested and sentenced to six months in prison. Walgreens has closed 21 stores in San Francisco within the past six years, citing issues of rising retail theft as a primary reason. Jason Blair, NTD News, San Francisco. And here to offer his perspective on this growing trend is Jason Johnson, president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, whom I spoke with earlier today. 
Jason, great to have you on the show. Some retail stores are now locking up most of their merchandise to prevent theft. One Walgreens in San Francisco was reportedly hit 15 to 20 times a day. With more than 20 years as a law enforcement officer and executive, how do you see this trend? It's a, I mean, it's, it's something that we see in virtually every city, certainly worse in places like New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's a direct response to a lack of consequences. So if if society will allow people to come in and steal property from a grocery store, or convenience store, then that's what people will do. They'll learn that they're able to do it and there are no consequences for doing it. And so the way out of this are simply to impose reasonable consequences for people who steal other people's property. And so how do we get to that stage? Because in some areas, police are still making arrests, but they also say that without convictions, that pattern will continue. So how do we get to that stage? Yeah, I mean, this is largely a, a, a response you know, legislatively by state legislatures that have changed the elements of the crime of theft and other things, other, other what they call low-level offenses. Uh, in, a, in a real attempt to take away those consequences is also a product of locally elected district attorneys and prosecutors uh, who have adopted policies where they will not prosecute theft unless the, the amount of the theft is over a certain amount. So I think that will continue until the electorate decides that it's simply unacceptable and refuse to return prosecutors to their elected office if that's the position that they take. Unfortunately, uh, we have not seen uh, a uniform rejection of this by the electorate, and some of these prosecutors have continued to be uh, reelected, uh, sadly. Yeah, it's quite an interesting phenomenon in some ways, but we have seen some pushback from some governors. Virginia's Glenn Youngkin signing a bill this year to toughen penalties for organized retail theft in particular. Do you think similar moves will be effective in areas where shop shoplifting is a growing problem? Well, I think it'll be effective if the voters decide to stop electing locally elected prosecutors that have made it their, you know, their their platform to be elected, that they will not prosecute people for what they call low-level offenses, which inc include these relatively, you know, uh, thefts of less than, say, $500 or $1,000 are considered low-level offenses. If we have prosecutors in office that won't prosecute those cases, it doesn't really matter what the law is because the prosecutors have just adopted the policies that they will not enforce the law. And as a result of that, some police departments have decided that they won't charge people with those crimes because it's um, it's just an exercise, that the officers will spend a lot of time on charging people and then there will be no prosecution. So that's really what needs to change. I think that's the biggest part of it is the prosecutors. So voters really do have a say here, something to really keep in mind with any upcoming elections. Thank you so much, Jason Johnson, president of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. Really appreciate your insights. One Southern California school has become the focal point of the classroom culture war. The school board has officially rejected a curriculum that its members have deemed inappropriate for children. A part of the curriculum refers to a gay rights activist. NTD's David Lamb has the story. The Temecula Valley Unified School District in Southern California decided on Wednesday to officially reject a social studies curriculum. The board met for more than five hours to hear from parents and teachers. Now, some people supported the three board members who rejected the curriculum, saying that they refused to have their children indoctrinated by school curriculum. 
Others were saying there is no indoctrination and that the board is just being political. Part of the curriculum mentions former San Francisco supervisor Harvey Milk, who was also known for his gay rights activism. The board president has even previously referred to Harvey Milk as a pedophile. One of the board members said members have reviewed the curriculum that goes for K to fifth graders and have deemed the material not suitable for children, saying especially when learning about an organization that reportedly has ties to a pedophilial group. I previously spoke to board member Jen Wiersma and here's what she said. What we're trying to communicate to our students and all stakeholders is that we've been tasked to make these important decisions to do what's best for them. And we want to hear our students, but at the end of the day, we as adults, as parents, as trustees, we've been elected to make this important decision. And that's what I'm hoping is that they see the truth of what we want to communicate and not the negative talking points of a specific narrative that wants to pin us as banning books or um, bigoted, because that's not the case. Now, state officials have also stepped in on the matter. Governor Gavin Newsom said that they will buy the material in question and send them to the parents and students, and would also send the bill to the district and fine them for violating state law. Board member Wiersma says the local school board was elected to represent the Temecula community and that they're just doing their job. She says the governor is stepping out of his scope. In Santa Clara, California, David Lamb, NTD News. Coming up, U.S. weapons production at record levels and it's giving the economy a boost. Is this good news? And striking Hollywood workers are chanting bye-bye AI, but that's not likely to happen. How will artificial intelligence impact the movie industry? We'll have these stories and more when we return. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. North Korea remains silent on the U.S. soldier who crossed into the country. The Biden administration is reaching out to the North Korean regime, but hasn't heard back. The president of Stanford University is resigning following an investigation by the school. He's found to have contributed to research papers with manipulated data. Whistleblowers from the IRS testify before Congress. They tell the House Oversight Committee they believe there's a lack of federal prosecution for Hunter Biden's tax crimes. Russian forces bomb a Ukrainian port city that's known for exporting grains. Meanwhile, the U.S. is giving another $1.3 billion to Ukraine's defense. America is producing a record high amount of defense equipment, according to Federal Reserve data. The war in Ukraine has contributed to a humming U.S. defense industry. Is this good news for the U.S.? NTD Business's Don Moss speaks to a military expert for his thoughts. And now joining me is Rick Fisher, military expert and senior fellow at the International Assessment and Strategy Center. Now, Rick, uh, the U.S.'s industrial production of defense equipment hitting a record high. Is this a good thing? Absolutely. Uh, the United States has basically been out of a war production level of military production activity for 
three or four generations. Uh, the United States is now facing uh, potential global military threats, the prospect of fighting or having to fight two, maybe three wars uh, in Europe, on the Taiwan Strait, and on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, our enemies have been preparing for three wars for the last 30 years. Uh, it is long overdue for the United States to ramp up military production in order to build the stockpiles necessary to prove to North Korea, to China, and to Russia that the West is ready to meet them on the battlefield so that they don't make that decision to actually go there. The Ukraine war, while awful and tragic for the people of Ukraine, has served as a vital wake-up for NATO, for the United States, and for America's allies in Asia. They now see that war is on the horizon, and they are all increasing their capacity to produce military material, as well as they are building up their military capabilities. All of this is good, but it has to happen even faster. Now, there's another dynamic to this. The war in Ukraine, uh, in large part, is contributing to this uh, increase in production of defense equipment. And the U.S. is providing aid to Ukraine, so that means we're giving away these weapons to Ukraine. Um, so let me get your comments on this dynamic. Is it still a good thing when we're giving these weapons away? Well, it's far better to give weapons to Ukraine than to give them our young men, young women. And if we do not prevail in Ukraine, if Ukraine is not able to remain free, Russia is going to start more wars. China is going to be tempted to start wars. And our younger generation is going to be facing something they have that, that American youth have not had to face since the 1960s. And that is a, a draft, because there will be no other way for the United States to to meet the demands of two, possibly three wars, than to re-implement the draft. Now, the worry is, though, is this depleting U.S. stockpiles? What are your thoughts? Well, absolutely, it is. But again, uh, this is the choice that is forced upon us. We either help Ukraine materially and help them fight their war by themselves, or we get in the act. We donate, if you will, the lives of our young people. And I believe most Americans would rather uh, give Ukraine the materiel to win their war rather than give them our young people. All right, Rick Fisher, thank you so much for your comments today. Thank you, Don. Artificial intelligence is making an impact on Hollywood. Many workers in the film industry believe their jobs may be replaced by AI programs in the future. What could that look like? NTD's Faye Quarter investigates. Hollywood workers are not big fans of artificial intelligence. New generative AI programs are able to create videos and scripts in almost an instant. Writers, production workers, and actors are worried their jobs may be taken away. They were going to pay a background actor for one day work 
and then use their likeness in perpetuity, like forever, without paying them. And I'm like, that is not okay. Actress Diana Rincon says that for many background actors, that is their only job. They won't be able to do anything else without it. She herself started her career with background acting. Having AI take over my job or all these talented creative writers' jobs in film and television, it's going to hit hard. Actress Laura Orico has been a member of the Screen Actors Guild for over 20 years. She's seen people work very hard to get into the industry to make their dreams become a reality. I really hope it wraps up soon because I prefer humans over computer-generated creative work. Joe Russo, director of Avengers Infinity War, sits on the board of several AI companies. He believes AI could be making movies in just two years. AI researcher Alexander de Ritter believes it'll take a bit longer for AI to reach blockbuster movie quality. You see the title credits at the end of a movie. You see the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that pour their life into this. De Ritter says the current state of AI video generation still can't compare to their efforts. Companies like DID, Synesthesia, and Runway ML are making progress, but they're still a ways off. But as the technology advances, people may start losing their jobs. Let's just say a hundred million dollar movie two, three, four, five years from now would cost maybe only five to ten million to build anymore. Right? So but who who suffers from that? It's 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 the people at the end of the credits who are no longer getting paid that extra $90 million. Meanwhile, some actors want to have AI clones of themselves. We're talking to one of the Hollywood actors that wants to clone, uh, to create the clone of uh, himself, basically, and use it in the video content. Vitaly Romanchenko is the CEO of Eli.io. Hi from Eli. I'm Gia, a digital presenter creator. Firm that generates AI videos. He believes more famous actors may want AI clones of themselves to use in videos on social media. Bay Quarter, NTD News. Coming up, the Women's World Cup starts tomorrow in New Zealand with Team USA looking for an unprecedented third straight title. A huge Powerball lottery jackpot is still up for grabs. NTD visits the store that sold last year's record-breaking ticket to hear what it was like. More in a moment here on NTD News. The Women's World Cup starts tomorrow with Team USA looking for their third straight title. While the Americans are the favorites to win it, again, they may have some challenges. NTD's Dave Martin has more. The Women's World Cup kicks off early Thursday morning in New Zealand as the Kiwis co-host the tournament along with Australia, the Southern Hemisphere location. This time of year means an unusually cold weather setting for this, the ninth edition of the women's tournament. Now, Team USA has been the dominant nation historically, winning four of the eight so far, including the last two. In addition, they've long held the number one spot in the rankings, and so naturally, they're the odds-on favorites to win a third straight. The question doesn't seem to be whether they'll do it, but if they'll be as dominant as the 2019 version when they outscored their opponents by a total of 26-3. to There's too many injuries. Um, losing Mallory Swanson is a big, big deal. She was the leading scorer 
for the for the country in terms of this season overall and their other competitions. Paul Banks wrote the book Transatlantic Passage about the popularity of the Premier League spreading to the United States, has the Americans as the hands-down favorites, but still sees some possible holes. In addition to Swanson's injury, Becky Sauerbrunn and Kristen Press are sidelined as well, leaving some questions to be answered. There is no backup striker behind Alex Morgan, so it'll be interesting to see what how they're going to get their goals you know, if she doesn't get good service and if something were to happen, Alex Morgan, who steps in in that role, that's going to be a real question mark. Meanwhile, heavily decorated star forward Megan Rapinoe, who announced she'll retire at the end of the year, is 38 years old and will be in more of a minor role this time around as the team looks into transition some younger players. This has definitely got a, a last hurrah feel towards it. I mean, the last World Cup, that was the last one for Carly Lloyd. And, you know, Alex Morgan, Captain Morgan in every way, on and off the pitch, she's, she's Captain Morgan through and through. Uh, she's 34, so this will be the last time for her. Um, she's absolutely pivotal. She's extremely important for this team. Ultimately, Banks says that other favorites like England, Spain, and Germany either have injury problems themselves or not enough depth to dethrone Team USA even if the Americans aren't at their strongest. I mean, that's the thing. Like, okay, there's injuries. Yeah, there's um, a lot of, the, of our key players are aging. This is going to be their last go around. But they've always shown resilience. This core of this, of this United States women's national team has always stepped up when they had to. Team USA's first game will be Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time when they take on Vietnam as part of their group stage play. I'm Dave Martin for NTD News. Many are crossing their fingers as the numbers for an astonishingly high lottery jackpot will be called tonight. The winning prize grows bigger as more and more people buy tickets. NTD's Christina Corona has more from Altadena. A massive payday may be in one lucky person's near future. The Powerball drawing is tonight and there are many hopefuls in Southern California anticipating that $1 billion winning ticket. No tickets matched the Powerball winning numbers Monday night, making today's lottery jackpot $1 billion, with a cash payout at an estimated $516 million. The largest Powerball jackpot ever won in America was $2.4 billion that hit on November 8, 2022 in Altadena, California. We got to speak with Joseph Shahayed, the owner of Joe's Service Center, the store that sold the $2 billion winning ticket last year. Oh, it's very exciting and I'm very happy somebody won because this is the biggest uh, ticket in history. Joseph tells us that he made it in the Guinness Book of World Records for the greatest jackpot in a national lottery. He goes on to share what happened after he sold that record-breaking ticket. One million dollars bonus I share with my grandchildren. I have 11 grandchildren I share with them and I share my kid. I share with the rest some someone who needs more help. I did help. We spoke with one hopeful Powerball player who told us what he would do if he won tonight's jackpot. I would help out the homeless, you know, uh, buy some property, you know, and just help out the family, friends and family, and uh, party with the rest, I guess. Out of the 10 largest jackpots, four winning tickets were purchased in the state of California. Powerball tickets are sold throughout the nation, including Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, making Californians pretty lucky. 
and Joseph shared how hopeful he is to sell the winning ticket once again. 99.9 and a half. We can, we can feel it, we can smell it. It's coming. Hopefully we will sell another ticket, 1 billion, 200 million. With the $1 billion jackpot up for grabs, dreams are soaring higher than ever, and the heat is not stopping anyone from purchasing the life-changing ticket. Christina Corona, NTD News, Altadena. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. That's all for tonight's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.